0: Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. My name is Becco, and my partner Hari. Hello. This episode, we're going to be talking about Carnival Core. It's been on the news uh, quite a lot lately because of the coronavirus and the and the outbreak and people, uh, you know, dying on the ship because of the coronavirus. So we'll talk about this company in this episode and the next episode. Um, so Hari, let's uh, let's get started with a disclaimer, please.
1: Yeah, this is the uh, Value Investor TV podcast. We are a podcast that helps you uh, grow your wealth and understands the concepts behind value investing. We are not uh, financial advisors, nor do we know your specific financial situation. So please consult with the appropriate advisor before making any financial decisions.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Also, before we start, you want to kind of walk through the regular kind of routine housekeeping items that we talk about, Slack channel and the checklist?
1: Yeah. So um, for those of you who are new to the podcast, we have a uh, checklist that we use for every company that we evaluate, including uh, Carnival today. Um, and if you'd like a copy of that so you can follow along, uh, you can email us at info at org. Um, uh, also uh, available is a, uh, we have a Slack channel where all of our, um, Listeners uh, can aggregate and uh, congregate and do all kinds of grading uh, together <laughs> and they can um, uh, they can ask us questions, uh, post news articles, um, have discussions about the finer points of uh, investing. Uh, so if you'd like to get a hold of us um, in real time instead of just uh, through email, you can send us first an email, info at valueinvestor.org, and we'll send you an invite uh, to the Slack channel. So... Um, and you know, this is a great place. We have a lot of people from all over the world who sends us uh, questions, comments, uh, you know, and asks us, you know, very interesting questions and help us hone uh, the podcast. They also give us uh, advice on what to record next. So one of the topics that we are going to do um, in the next episode is called uh, a company called Five Below that was recommended to us by one of the people on Slack. So. If you'd like to make a suggestion for what you'd like to listen to, please uh, send us that, um, an email uh, and get on the Slack channel.
0: Great, great. And uh, I just want to reiterate this. Uh, Carnival Core, again, this is one of those companies where listeners, one of you, uh, suggested that we look into this. So, uh, so as, as Hari said, the next episode five that we have ready for you, prepared for you, that's also one of the companies that you guys suggested also, Carnival Core is also one of those companies. So um, do send us emails uh, about that. So let's get us started, Hari.
1: Yeah, so going down that the checklist, the first question is, what does a company do? Um, and try to be brief uh, with it.
0: Sure. Uh, let's try to be brief. Yeah, I know I spend kind of a, lot of a lot of my time on this question. I know. <laughs> but in fact... <laughs> I like to provide as much color as possible for you guys. Uh but let's let me try to synthesize this. Carnival uh, basically owns and operates cruise ships internationally. Uh they they're the uh you know they're the owner and operator of these cruise ships. Um, I think it's it's especially on people's mind because people have seen those big cruise ships docking in the ports of Oklahoma or not Oklahoma. Um Oakland or or, or, uh, or you know, in, in, in Japan, these giant boats—it's um, you know—it's pretty relevant nowadays because of the coronavirus. They are they are the biggest uh, cruise um, tour company out there. They they uh, they have about forty five percent of entire global volume uh, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, uh, guests and personnel. Uh, so, quite a quite a beast in this uh, in this cruise industry.
1: Yeah, and um,
0: I think- is that concise enough? Yeah,
1: <laughs> I think it is. Um, one thing that uh, to mention is where are they headquartered, uh, I think is actually going to be relevant for what we're discussing today.
0: Yeah, they're incorporated in- So Carnival Corporation was incorporated in Panama in 1972, and Carnival PLC was incorporated, incorporated in England and Wales in 2000. So this is really truly a global company that's very distributed and if you're talking about kind of organization of this company and subsidiaries they are everywhere they have subsidiaries literally everywhere so it's very kind of complicated business with offshore uh, and corporations and things like that so yeah so something to consider
1: yeah consider when we talk about um risk factors but uh, let's move down the checklist, and we'll talk a little bit more about the business while we do that. So, um, sure. does the business have a competitive advantage? Um, and kind of explain to us, in you know what that competitive advantage is, in these particular categories. So the first category is, uh, do they have a moat uh, by their brand?
0: I would say I would say yes. Um, So they, you know, they go against other uh, kind of giants in the space, but they are kind of the dominant player in this space. As I mentioned earlier, uh, in 2019, they had about 20, uh, about 13 million guests and globally about 30 million guests total. So you're talking about a sizable portion of the global cruise volume uh, going through Carnival. And I would say, you know, part of that reason is... I think a perhaps not big part, but it's a, a still a notable part of that is because of the of the brand itself. Um, but I, I would say, you know, there are other reasons to to that. Obviously, one being just the size; other being, you know, they have you know they have a lot of, uh, you know that they have a, a bigger footprint. Um, but kind of going back to your question, brand. I think there is some, but I'm not I'm not sure how strong that that brand is
1: well i guess the other way to ask the question is do people when they're booking a a cruise are they going to the cruise because of the name carnival or because of one of their brands or are they going to the cheapest cruise that they can find or is it based on destination or you know how, how do you how do we think about that advantage that they would have
0: yeah so in terms of brand, I think there are kind of kind of um, a few different ways to look at it. I think in terms of the cruise industry and if you break it down, there is kind of low tier brand like kind of lower tier service, what they call kind of contemporary there is a medium tier which is called premium and then there's a high end very luxury brand or kind of luxury services called luxury kind of category from that perspective um some of the subsidiaries of carnival are known for that luxury high-end brand that experience so that brand is is associated with luxury experience and so for those who are seeking that type of experience i think brand would matter but for those who are not right for those who are just regular consumers of cruise industry they would be looking for kind of destination would be kind of uh, on the top of the agenda uh, and then price not so much the brand itself, so I would I would kind of categorize it in luxury and versus not.
1: Okay. And do you think that that, um, you know, so that they because they have such a large footprint, um, do they have any network effects that are associated with that? Is it, um, because they're a, you know, so for those of you who don't know what a network effects are, is people go to Carnival because other people take Carnival cruises, um, you know. So the classic example would be something like eBay, where um, sellers go to where the buyers are, and buyers go to where the sellers are. So you have to kind of have both sides of a marketplace in order for it to work. Um, does do you think that applies to the Carnival um, cruise industry?
0: I don't. I don't particularly think so. I think there is not really a network effect as as you as you define it, as we classically define it here.
1: Yeah. What about, um, switching costs? Is it easy if you've booked one carnival cruise to then go to a competitor?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I think, yeah, there's no competitive advantage around switching cost, right? I mean, we could, we could go to carnival this summer and then we can go to, you know, something else next summer. There's no cost for me as a consumer.
1: Um, is there any uh, moat aso- associated with them being able to provide their service at a lower cost than their competitors?
0: Um, I would say to some extent, yes. Um, I think that that kind of is derived from their strong capital uh, uh, kind of positioning and their experience and, and then kind of the, the wide footprint that they have in terms of their offering. So.
1: So do you um, do you think that that is because of how they they sell tickets is it you know because they have the cruise ship industry is kind of like this hodgepodge of ticket brokers and package deals and all these other things does that and and you know does does Carnival have a control over that part of the industry and does that help uh drive any of the the cost advantage that they have
0: I'm not sure if they control that in its entirety in this industry but they certainly did mention that uh, kind of brokers are a critical part of their success they need to kind of they, they are dependent on these third party brokers to sell and push these push these tickets out to uh, to customers
1: okay um, and then the last moat category that we have is intangible assets and then I'm going to add a, a moat category after that but do you think that they have any intangible assets that um, kind of prevent uh, competitors?
0: I don't think so. So so I think a classic example of intangible assets might be pharmaceutical companies with their own patents, things like that. Here, I don't see anything that contributes to stronger competitive advantage in that perspective.
1: Okay, so I I think there is a competitive advantage here um, that is interesting though, in that they are an asset heavy business. Right. And so um, if Becco and I wanted to start a cruise industry, you know, cruise ship business, there's no way that we could afford it. Right. You know, we would not be able to put the capital down to buy a large cruise ship and then start selling tickets. Right. So it would be very difficult. We would need a lot of collateral. We would need a lot of cash, uh, you know, to start that. So do you think that because of their size, their scale, they're able to get boats, they're able to buy more assets. They'll be able to get better deals on, you know, the, the, the asset itself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. I actually just, I was just curious and looked up average cost of cruise liner. Obviously there are variations of it, right? You got small ones and then the huge ones, the big ones, the biggest ones, and they vary a lot, but the biggest ones could cost in the billions. You know, Single-digit billions, and then the small ones, on average, about 250 million dollars. So again, not, not. I think, kind of, to your point, that that is a competitive advantage from their perspective as an as an as an existing player in this industry with giant balance sheet and existing footprints, They do have a competitive advantage from that standpoint. One other thing that I would I do want to mention associated with that is, if you want to operate a cruise ship, it's not just about the ship itself, but also about all these other regulations that you have to pass you have to have relationships with ports across the world various places you have to be able to yep you need to be able to operate um you need to be able to source uh um, employees to work on the ship but also outside the ship as you know as these uh, ships dock at various places you need to be able to have that um so that is something that uh, could be could be hard to get as a new entrance.
1: Yeah, so I, I think there is some competitive advantage there, just like an air, airline industry, right? You don't see too many new airlines coming on board, right? I think the most recent one that I can remember is probably JetBlue or maybe Spirit. They, it takes a lot of money to get into the business. And I think in the same way that you have to have a relationship with the airport, you have to have, so there's a lot of, Overlap here, right? In in terms of who uses um, uh, businesses, you know what kind of uh, you, you know you know the type of business that you're looking at. So, um, but I think cruise ships are don't cater to the business market at all. So there's a there's a you know special component of this that this is all leisure based. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so let's uh, move on and say you know we so we've determined that there is a competitive advantage in that. There's a high barrier to entry, um, and that they have some economies of scale by their size, right? That they are able to buy um, their assets for cheaper than, you know, because they're able to offer um, more volume, uh, as well as um, uh, a brand, um, you know, competitive advantage. Uh, Even though we don't think that one's very strong, it's still there. Um, So, how durable is the competitive advantage, and what do you think the risks are? To that current uh, competitive advantage,
0: yeah. Um, in terms of the durability of the competitive advantage, I would say the last one that we mentioned towards the end about having a sizable resources, having a sizable footprint, that as a, a barrier a barrier to entry, I think that is pretty durable. Um, <laughs> as as you mentioned, Hari, no, unless you have unless you can you can fork over billions of dollars to start a business in the cruise line industry, it's going to be very difficult to crack into it. Right. So from that, pre- from that standpoint, competitive advantage, I think there, there is, uh, definitely, uh, uh, there, but I do wonder from the, from the vantage point of existing entrants, how they play out to each other.
1: Well, so let's, let's do a hypothetical scenario. Let's say that in December of, I don't know, 2019, there was this virus that came out of, I don't know, let's Uh-oh. say China. And that that this virus spread all over the world and, you know, it affected cruise ships because cruise ships get a lot of um, things like Norwalk virus and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And and then that virus kind of shut down the world's economy. You know, do you and, you know, because this is a leisure business, it's not something that people will uh, spend a lot of money on. if you know, if they have other things that they need to take care of, or if there's high unemployment, um, so let's hypothetically say that this virus <laughs> happened. You know how? What did? What do you think the risks are? Um, you know, could it wipe them out? And um, you know, as far as because they have such such heavy uh, assets, when those assets aren't being used, they're not generating revenue for them. Um, you know, is that is that something that? you would have thought of, you know, just looking at this, just reading their annual report and would it be, you know, what, what would the risk to them be? Or are they one of, the, you know, able to sustain their business through a significant downturn?
0: Yeah, I, I think kind of, I want to answer that in kind of two folds. One is um, the, the brand itself. Well, first of all, I think no one really predicted coronavirus. Uh, <laughs> so from that perspective, every business, every business out there is affected by coronavirus. Um, and I think this is not a, you know, this is no exception here. Uh, and you know, from that perspective, it is very, very tough at this point in time where you have these heavy assets, uh, sitting around, not really generating a lot of revenue. And now, you know, you have al- also something we'll talk about big debt on the balance sheet. I mean, that is a serious problem that we have to, we have to kind of confront as, a, as an investor. And as, as a, if you're an operator of the company, you have to really face this head on. So, so that's that. And then the second point, though, is in terms of the short-term survivability, I would say a company like this is, is actually perhaps better poised to come out of it because they have a large asset base that they can collateralize and borrow against. Versus companies that do not have assets to collateralize, and it is could be much more difficult to borrow money from the from bank to, for for short term you know liquidity issues. So from that perspective, I think they would be uh, they would be okay in in kind of navigating th- through the hard, through the tough waters uh, in the short term.
1: Okay, so Becco, um, you know the coronavirus has a you know had a um You know, kind of an unfavorable um, uh, presentation for a lot of these cruise ships, right? It's, you know, that's what people heard the most, I think, early on when they talked about coronavirus before it was really a global issue. Um, So how do you perceive that will be affecting their brand moat? You know, are people going to come back to cruise ships quickly, you know, when the coronavirus um, quarantines are starting to be lifted? Um, do you think there's going to be some trust that they have to regain or, you know, in the form of offering lower pricing and, you know, package deals and things like that, just to incentivize people or, you know, do some sort of, uh, overhaul of the, the, the ships to kind of make them safer for, you know, respiratory viruses and stuff like that. Uh, what, what's your take on that?
0: Yeah. So. I would like to answer that question in three different ways, three different points. The first point is, as I mentioned earlier, um, the coronavirus really hit uh, hard on cruise ships. And there is, in fact, a Wikipedia page called 2020 coronavirus pandemic on cruise ships. You can look it up. And 19, there were 19 ships that that were uh, affected by the, the coronavirus. And if you look at 19 uh, out of 19, 10 of them were part of uh, Carnival Corps. In fact, that you know, that part right there about 10, you know, 10 being affected is not really surprising given the fact that Carnival owns about half of all cruise ships in the world. So, that's one point. The second point is out of the nine, out of the 10 that were impacted, there were a few that really was in the limelight of media when the coronavirus really started to ramp up as you mentioned Hari. and and both of them were um, were actually part of Carnival Corps. they were not explicitly named Carnival but they they are part of the they are a subsidiary of Carnival princess so you probably heard diamond princess you probably also heard grand princess these are ships uh, you know cruise ships that are that are part of Carnival Corps. so from that perspective i think um, because these ships were really you know center of the media limelight i think they would uh, the carnival corps especially princess subsidiary probably took a bigger hit than other other cruise uh, cruise uh, cruise line companies but kind of on the third point how they could recover from this how they would recover from this i think as you mentioned i think there is going to be a minimum short-term impact kind of short to medium term impact to the cruise uh, cruise line industry generally speaking right so you know i would i would venture and say like you said there has to be some sort of stimulus um to boost the consumption of of these cruise line uh you know tours like you said some kind of promotion or package deal or some uh, something like that to really boost it one thing that do wor- worry me worries me is the peak of their season is the summer, right? Q2, Q3. Q3 is kind of the peak season. And I worry that because even though the coronavirus might calm down by Q3, the kind of the the tarnished reputation of, of this industry might really put this year's revenue in serious jeopardy. So um, I think that's one thing to keep in mind.
1: Okay. We'll, um, we're going to be talking a lot about that, you know, as we talk about financials. So, um, let's kind of look at, um, some more items on the checklist and then we'll, um, wrap up this episode. Um, you know, what, what do you think the company's long-term prospects are and what is their runway for growth? And, you know, I, I know it's kind of hard to judge that with, um, these short-term things, but let's let's answer this question specifically from a long-term perspective.
0: Sure. Let's say let's put away this coronavirus aside, this mythical coronavirus. Uh, I would say so. This is straight from 10K. They said global cruise industry and our compound annual passenger capacity growth rates are estimated to be six point eight percent and five point five percent, respectively, from 2019 to 2023. So on average, you're talking about about five percent top line growth, and in fact, that's kind of what we've been seeing for the past for the past three years for, for the past um, three to five years. So I would say that's going to be pretty consistent for the next few years if you if you thought, if you project out kind of from the long term perspective. Another element that I want to touch on is they they as with a lot of companies, I think we have to take this point with grain of salt. They say China is going to be the next growth engine for their company. And a lot of companies say that. A lot of companies say that as this is going to be the, their next growth engine. But I think we have to be careful given the current situation with coronavirus, but also just general perception around China has sort of shifted, I would say. So I, I would say take this with a grain of salt, but another engine for their growth, uh, kind of the engine, as they mentioned in the in the 10K, is they believe here is direct line from from their 10K, we believe that our, that, excuse me, we believe that our most significant long-term growth opportunity in Asia is in China, uh, for a few reasons, because of large growing middle-class population, uh, to expansion of its international tourism, and then thirdly, governments plan to support the cruise industry. So, um, So those are things that we have to keep in mind when we are talking about long-term growth prospects.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things to, to mention about China is that there are lots of brands that entered China that have failed, you know, miserably and have pulled back significantly and other brands who've done very, very well uh, there. So it's not a guarantee that just because it worked in the rest of the world, it will work in China. The Chinese consumer is obviously different from, you know, even consumers in Japan or South Korea or uh other Asia Pacific countries. So, you know, there, and and obviously the government has a big role in the perception there too. So if the government can support mm-hmm. it, then it may be, you know, versus the government wants to promote its own local, you know, industry. So, um, okay. I think this question will be pretty easy to answer. Um, does a company require a lot of capital reinvestment to maintain its business? And can it grow without any further reinvestments? I've heard cruise ships are cheap. And they don't cost anything to build or maintain. So,
0: yeah, I think I think you, uh, I think you answer that question right there for for Vihari already. But uh, if you look at if you look at the if you look at their um, financial statements, it becomes very apparent, very very apparent. They spend a lot on capex, and if you look at the. Amortization and depreciation, and percentage of CapEx. You're talking about fifty percent of CapEx going into maintenance, right? So fifty percent of CapEx going into maintenance, the rest going into, you know, buying new boats and things like that. Um, so that's absolute yes. And another data point that I want to present is they have laid out capital allocation for 2020 all the way to 2024 in terms of getting new ships. So this is what they call new ship growth capital. In 2020, 4.8 billion, 2021, 3.6 billion, et cetera, et cetera, all the way to 2024. So again, to answer your question, it is absolutely capital intensive industry. And this, you know, capital outlay will change, of course, with coronavirus, but it is a capital intensive business for sure.
1: Okay, Um, let's um, move along and... um Last question for the the episode, multi-part question. Does this business have favorable relationships with the following uh, parties? So customers, any red flags that you see um, with customers? um, I think we talked about one already with coronavirus and whether or not people will be readily coming back uh, given the uh, the kind of, um, you know, situation that we're in and, you know, how it was kind of first brought about with the with cruise ships and any public health issue is, you know, kind of am- amplified on a, on a cruise ship. So, uh, you know, any w- any thoughts there beyond what we already talked about?
0: No, just, yeah, I just want to emphasize the kind of the short term, short term, medium term impact of coronavirus. It's going to be pretty significant, kind of brutal, in fact, for this industry, I think. So, yeah.
1: Okay. Any um uh issues that you see with their relationships with their suppliers, the boat manufacturers, the um you know, uh I, I do think um most of their cruise ships are built in Italy, right?
0: Yeah, so they they have manufacturers uh from Italy. They're the main ones. There is one in Germany and then Finland. So heavily concentrated in Europe.
1: And do you think that uh the economies of italy being you know northern italy being hit hard with coronavirus is that going to have any impact on their supply
0: i think absolutely yes Uh, in fact this is of course before coronavirus they they were planning on four ships to be delivered in 2020 and of course that might i mean that plan probably will change with coronavirus uh in the background but um i'm sure as the business as their business the cruise industry's business gone down, the boat manufacturer business subsequently will go down um, because of the lack of demand, but also workers of these, you know, these companies are also probably not able to work and, and, you know, return to factories. So for sure, they're going to be impacted.
1: Okay. And do you see any problems that they have with employees, um, union uh, labor or um difficulty getting attracting employees now that there's, you know, coronavirus and things like that? Or are they going to have to raise their wages to bring on new people?
0: Um, yeah, I think you, you hit on the, the point that I wanted to mention. It's going to be I, I would say it's going to be diff- more difficult. Um, they are unionized, uh, which, you know, from the perspective of management could make it difficult moving forward with the coronavirus. Um, and as I mentioned earlier on, this business requires a lot of people, right? Just on board, so we're talking about ships, people working on ships. They have close to 100,000 employees, 92,000 to be exact, 92,000 employees. And then an offshore, not offshore, sorry, uh, shore-side operation, about 12,000 full-time employees. So overall, you're talking about over 100,000 employees, right, 100,000 employees um, on their payroll, uh, and, and and many of them are unionized, so it's going to be difficult um, trying to navigate through the the tough times right now.
1: Okay, well, I think um, you know we've certainly have pointed out some risks, you know, with this uh, this business, right? Obviously, the obvious ones being coronavirus, and um, you know, will people come back? Um, the ex- very expensive um, capital outlay that's required to make this business work. Um, so there's certainly a lot of things to, to think about as far as, um, this, but when we talk about this, these, we want to bring them into the, into account with, um, how do they line up with the financials and how does that impact the valuation that we're willing to, you know, to buy with a business like this, right? It's a slow growth business at this point. Um, you know, you said it was growing at 6%. So all things to consider when we, when we do the, uh, you know, our, our valuation and, you know, evaluate the, the financials of the business. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, <clears throat> we're going to close it up uh, for this episode. Um, you know, if you have any questions about, um, you know, the checklist that we've talked about, uh, please send us an email info at valueinvestor.org. Uh, and you can um, also get on our Slack channel and ask us questions about Carnival or any other uh, stock that we've talked about, or any question, stock that you're looking at. Um, send us an email, info at valueinvestor.org, and then we'll see you on the Slack channel.
0: Thanks a lot, guys. See you in the next uh, next episode.
1: All right. Thanks.